So, like Stephen said just a minute ago, hey guys, uh, happy Father's Day to all of you here in the room who are fathers, right? Um, it's a, yeah, it's a good holiday, not just because, you know, I get stuff. Nothing? Okay, all right. You guys okay? Everybody awake? All right, just making sure. Um, so today, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about uh, well these two two stories out of the book of of Mark. Uh, one is is uh, Jesus heals a deaf man. It's Mark seven thirty one through through uh, thirty seven, and then the second one is Jesus heals a blind man out of Mark eight uh, and verses twenty two through twenty six. And so those are going to be where we kind of sit today. Um, and I want to just recognize like. <clears throat> Like, when you would go through the book of Mark and you would study it, right? Um, there's an interconnectedness in the book of Mark that, that each story that's on each side of each story, uh, there's a connection there oftentimes, right? And so we're going to talk about some of that, but the trick is, is like, next week we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 4,000, the week after that we're going to be ta- talking about the Great Confession, and so like... I want to acknowledge those connections without necessarily talking about those stories because I don't want to, like, they've got to preach on that next week and I don't want to steal all their thunder, right? Um, So what I want to do is I just want to start off. I just want to read the stories we're going to be looking at. They're going to kind of dig in and go verse by verse and kind of analyze some stuff, see what's new, see what's different, see what's weird, and just see what maybe we can glean away from it today. Does that sound okay to everybody? All right. So here we go. Verse 31. Of Mark chapter 7. Jesus left Tyre, went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns, the Decapolis in some translations. Uh, you'll, anyway, I don't want to get into like analyzing early, but I'm tempted to, to draw your attention back for just a second to the healing of the Gadarene demoniac, right? Uh, or the Gerasene demoniac, depending on which version you're looking at. Same region, different title. Um, but if you remember, Jesus says to that guy after he heals him, he, you know, he's just begging to come with Jesus because he's been running around for the last decade without clothes on, right? And, and attacking people and he was demon possessed. Everybody knew who he was. And so he's begging to go with Jesus as Jesus is pulling off, right? And <clears throat> Jesus tells him no in this moment that if we don't know the context seems almost kind of impassionate, right? Like he, like how, you know, how can this compassionate God be so hard on this guy? Um, but we know looking ahead in the story that Jesus had reasons in it. But Jesus says to him, he doesn't just say no. He says, hey, listen, go to your family and tell them what God has done for you and how he's had mercy on you, right? And that's in the Mark version. And so he does this. Uh, This guy goes not just to his family, but he goes to the region of the Decapolis. And if you'll remember from the story of the the, the Gadarene demoniac, when when Jesus, the reason Jesus is leaving and the demoniac is begging to go with him is because the people of the area have asked him to leave, right? He has just shown that he has power over a power that they were terrified of. And they said, hey, listen, we don't know what your deal is, but we'd really like it if you just go. Like, don't go mad, just go, right? And so they ask him to leave and he's leaving. But as he's leaving, he gives these instructions to the demoniac. Luke talked about this a little bit last week, but I think it's worth pointing out that in this first verse here of verse 31, that we are back in that same area again, okay? So it's incredible to see what that one guy was able to, like the, the, 
the ground that he was ready to, like, that he was able to prepare for Jesus ahead of time just by doing these simple things, right? Like, so often we make evangelism, we make it really complicated. We're like, well, I don't know the right answers and I don't know all the right things to say. And, and it's really complicated. I'm no theologian. I don't want to speak with any authority because, you know, I don't really know. But what this guy did was really simple. He, he went and he told people what Jesus had done for him. Right? Anybody got a story like that? Right? And how he had mercy on him. Basically, that what Jesus had done for him, he didn't deserve it. But look at this mercy that this God of grace has had on me. And he went and he told this, not just to his family, but to this region of the Decapolis. And the next time Jesus shows up, there are people standing in line to get to him. And so my question, and before we even start into any of this, is what if we did that? Right? What if we just did the simple thing of being honest about, you know what, this is what God's done for me. I don't know all the answer to all these theological questions. I don't know all of this stuff over here, but like, here's what God's done for me and in my life. And, uh, and, and I, he's had mercy on me. And I know that you maybe feel like you don't deserve it either, but like none of us do. And you know, what if, what if we just, in a really simple way, without having to know all the other answers, we just said, here's what God's done for me to the people around us. I wonder what kind of God... I wonder what kind of ground God is waiting to till up around us just by those simple stories, right? And so, sorry, I didn't want to get into all, but it just, it just, it needs to be, you need to have that idea in your head as we go into these next stories, okay? Verse 32, we're making it super far. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man uh, to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so, they could, so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, touched the man's tongue. Um, we're going to get into some of the, the stuff there. Um, I'm interested to tell you about verse 33 here later, but we're going to wait. We're going to move on, go through the passage first. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, F fasta. Fafta. I, I don't know exactly how to say it, uh, but there it is. It's F and then fata. Fatha, right? So F, Fatha, which means be opened. Instantly, verse 35, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. The common problem. Uh, they were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. And then what we're going to do is, in your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to skip over the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, not because they're not connected to the overall story here. They very much are. And we're going to talk about that later. But because the connectedness between these two stories of the healing of the deaf man and the healing of this blind man in 8.22 are, are really the focus connection for today. Okay? So verse 22 says this. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought... Uh, a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? Which is very odd. This is just, just a, a heads up. We're going to get to this later, but this is a weird story, right? Verse 24, the man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Um, then, verse 25, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. 
And so just to kind of bring our, our, our focus back, we're reading through the book of Mark. And, and <clears throat> Mark does everything on purpose, right? Mark picks his miracles on purpose. He picks the parables that he includes. He even picks the orders of uh, the order of events, uh, and and he, it's all it's all done with his intended audience in mind, right? Like he is trying to communicate this gospel of Jesus to a particular audience, and so Mark's gospel was probably written in or around Rome. There's debate. There's always debate on this kind of stuff, but best guess everybody's got is somewhere around that area, and it was written to probably a Roman audience or at least a Greek-speaking Gentile group, right? Okay, so Gentiles, remember, is just not a Jew. Um, and Greek-speaking, most of the Gentiles would have been in, the, in that area at that time because it was the trade language, right? So that's who it was written to. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, there's debate. But after studying it, I really think that that's the best guess. Um, you're welcome to go and look that up and study it for yourself and... Um, but that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And said, but one of the things you'll, you'll notice is that, that Mark often explains Jewish traditions, right? He often translates Aramaic into Greek. And, and that would only be necessary for an audience that needs that kind of help in understanding what's going on, right? Um, and uh, the way that he begins his gospel with the story from Jesus' youth, if you remember that story at all, uh, Mary and Joseph go into to, to Jerusalem for a feast. Uh, while they're in town, Jesus ends up at the temple. They don't realize that he's gone. Uh, he was of an age where he could have either been with Mary or he could have been with Joseph. And so they both leave thinking that the others got him. Anybody been there before with kids? No? Okay. Well, um, good for you. Um, <laughs> that's nice. Well done. Um, and so they leave thinking that, you know, Jesus is with them, but he's in this other part of the group. And they realize like a day later, they're like, oh, snap, we lost God's son. And so they go back and <clears throat> they go back and, and they find him at the temple. They're like, why did you put us through this? Right. Like a typical parental. Uh, and he's like, well, why were you looking for me? You knew I'd be in my father's house about my father's business type of thing. That's a paraphrase. Please read it on your own. But basically he says, well, wh why didn't you look here first? Right. Um, and they're all kind of going huh okay um so anyway they start off mark starts off his gospel with that story and if you didn't know anything was going on you'd think well you know they start over here with the you know with the with the virgin birth and they start over here with the genealogy why does mark start <clears throat> or kind of start with this story well a big reason why is because his intended audience right he his intended audience is a gentile group a greek speaking group and just kind of by way of of, of comparison, this was a what, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is this was a really commonly used thing that they would do in telling stories about their heroes, right? Uh, just kind of by way of, of explanation, um, <clears throat> you'll remember uh, maybe a story, the story of Hercules, right? When he's a baby and he kills the snakes in his crib, right? The purpose of that story was to establish Hercules's character even in his youth, right? And that's a really similar thing to what they're doing here with Jesus is to say that that when he grows up or and when he's young, he's still who he was. Right. They're establishing his character and saying that that character extends beyond just what we've heard about in this narrative from this time to this time. But he's always been this person. Right. And that's what they're doing here. And so 
<clears throat> yeah, so do, 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 let me find my place here. Uh, all this to say, Mark's gospel is more woven than written. Okay? And what I mean by that is <clears throat> that there are threads that run through the whole thing, and there are threads that connect stories to other stories or a series of stories. And today, while we read these stories about these two healings, we're also being pointed to see the similarities and the similar deficiencies uh, of the apostles, right? There's, there's the theologians, the, the commentators, as they look at this, they see connections between uh, the, the deafness and the, the not able to understandingness. I don't know how to word that properly. There's probably a good word. That wasn't it. But they did, you know, the, the disciples miss it, right? They don't understand what Jesus is saying half the time. And half the time, even though he's right there in front of them, they can't see what's going on, right? And so the, the, the commentators think that, that this is all kind of Mark's way to go. They missed it like this, right? And so maybe that's going on. There's a lot of different things that are, that are, that are going on and the stories are connected. <clears throat> These two stories also serve, just kind of by way of heads up, as, a, as kind of a, the bread of a miracle sandwich. Okay? Right? Uh, so you guys are familiar with sandwiches, right? There's bread on each side, and then there's usually, unless it's peanut butter and jelly, there's some sort of meat in the middle, right? And really, bread is great, but the meat's the point, right? Yeah? Everybody with me? Yeah. I mean, I don't need a sandwich. I mean, if I just want bread, I'm going to have toast, right? <laughs> okay? The meat is, is very much, you know, the point here also. And so these two miracles on each side of the feeding of the 4,000 are pointing us to the feeding of the 4,000. And so that's going on. And these stories, they serve uh, to prepare us for Peter's confession that happens directly after our last story, right? Like you can see similarities in this last story that we just read uh, from verse... Woo! Yeah, that says, so 22 to 26 um, of chapter 8, like you can see the similarities between that story and how it progresses and how Peter's confession progresses. There, I'm just saying there's a lot going on. Everybody with me? Okay, like, so let's dig in, see what we find. All right, stick these back here so that doesn't happen again. All right, so here we go. Verse 31 of chapter 7, we're back there again. So Jesus left Tyre, went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns, the Decapolis. Um, some of the commentators look through this, and there have been people who look at the way that, that, that Mark worded this, and they said, well, Mark must not have been very familiar with the area because if you're going to the Sea of Galilee, you don't go over here first. It's the wrong direction. Um, I'm pretty confident Mark probably knew the area, okay? I think probably what's going on is because Mark isn't necessarily as concerned with, you know, point A, point B, chronologically, like here's what happened, right? He's more concerned with here's the overarching story and they were in these places. I think really what happened here is Jesus kind of went the long way, right? Has anybody ever done that? You're like, I'm going to end up over here, but before I go there, I'm going to go this way. That doesn't make any sense unless you just, you understand that I wanted to go over there. And I go over and I go around and I come down. And that's, that's what he did, right? Um, I don't think it means Mark didn't know the area. I think that's silly. But there are commentators out there that they're they like, see, Mark must not have known the area. I just think that's kind of crazy. So uh, <clears throat> verse 32, it says, A deaf man 
with a speech impediment uh, was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and to heal him. A um, couple of things, and I don't like to usually use, uh, like, this is the word in the Greek. I don't usually do that um, because I, I just think it can be obnoxious, right? Like, I don't want to overuse that. Um, but sometimes there are weird things going on, and that's the only way to, to get them to you, right? Um, so <clears throat> the phrase, a speech impediment, it actually translates literally could hardly talk. The word that's used there is, <laughs> and I'm going to butcher it, just fair warning, uh, moga lalos, right? And it's only used here in the New Testament. This is the only place in the whole New Testament that this particular word is used. And you remember what I said about Mark. He does everything on purpose. So this isn't an accident. So what happens is if we go through the Old Testament and we look through, okay, was this word used anywhere else in the Old Testament? Like is Mark drawing our attention by the words that he uses to something that happened? And the only other place that it's used in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. And it says, here's what they say. See if it sounds familiar to you. Then, the, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap and the deer like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Mark is connecting this messianic text to this healing of a Gentile. Like, that's huge. Don't miss it, okay? Because the Messiah came from where? He came from the Jews. He was a Jew. He was Jewish, right? But they're connecting this Jewish Messiah's healing to the healing of this Gentile, right? That's, that's a really big deal. We're going to get into why here a little later, but just, just go with me. Just hang on to that for a second. Verse 33, Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. Now, in most of the translations... It just says Jesus led him away from the crowd. New Living Translation says so that they could be alone. And really what they're doing is, is there, there's not really any way to know exactly why Jesus took him away from the crowd. Best guess is so they could be alone, right? But just so you understand, like, we don't know why, okay? Like it says so he could be alone. They were alone because he took him away from the crowd. But we don't really know exactly why Jesus took him away. <clears throat> I, I think that to be alone, here's my guess, okay? And that's what it is. Everybody with me? It doesn't say, so this is my guess. I think that to be alone is, is probably a really good guess. But I think there's more to it than that. And here's what I mean. This guy had been deaf, and so he couldn't speak well, right? And you guys... Um, are probably familiar with this. You've, you've met someone before who grew up and couldn't hear and is able to talk, but the, the, their speech is, is not like yours or eyes because they can't hear and, and learn the nuances. And the, like, so their speech is, is a lot harder to understand sometimes, right? And I think, probably, knowing Jesus, that there is a bit of a back and forth conversation going on with this guy. Like Jesus is trying to communicate with him and... To, to be able to hear him and understand him well, he's got to get away from the crowd. Um, Jesus' hearing was probably better than mine, right? Because uh, he never had those loud car speakers in his ear, right? Um, anybody else? Um, or, you know, he'd never heard a gunfire, right? Like, uh, so his hearing was probably pretty well, but 
I don't know, and you guys are young, so maybe this isn't a thing you understand, but like when I get in a crowd, I can't hear. Like if you're not speaking loudly, plainly, and looking at me, especially if you're on my left side, just a heads up, this is my deaf side. Um, when I want to go to sleep, I lay on this side because I can't hear anything, um, which is annoying to my wife because if she tries to talk to me and I'm laying on my right side, I can't hear a word she's saying. Um, and so like I have to lean my head up to, to go, what did you say? And anyway, but I think, <clears throat> I think what's going on here is that Jesus is, he's getting them away from the crowd and it's so that they can be alone, so that they can have a minute of privacy. But I think it's also so that Jesus can hear him clearly um you know again it doesn't say so that's a guess but it makes sense to me um it doesn't mean it's right but it makes sense to me it says uh the next thing there he says he put his fingers into the man's ears then spitting on his own fingers he touched the man's tongue uh it, again this is another space where the new living translation uh it says he put his fingers in the man's ears then he spits then he touches the man's tongue like that's the words that are there right so we really don't know when he spits like exactly he it does say that i think there is some indication that he was spitting on his fingers and then he does touch the man's tongue so i think the implication there is is pretty is pretty easy um but you know <clears throat> maybe it's the the old youth minister in me um but i really like the idea that jesus gave this guy a wet willy um, maybe that is a cultural thing that you guys are unfamiliar with, but here's what it means. Uh, and I do this to my kids. You can, you can steal this. You can do this to your own kids. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing it to strangers. They might hit you. But a wet willy is essentially where I take my finger, I get it wet, right? And I stick it in his ear, right? Yeah? No? Okay. That's it. I, and <clears throat> I don't think, it says that he stuck his finger in his ear, then he spit on his thing, and then he touched the tongue. So like there's an order to it. So I really can't make a good argument for it, but I like it. Okay, all right. Probably didn't happen. <clears throat> I can't help it. That's where my brain goes. You guys want to go on the trip with me? That's where it's headed. Um, so a couple of things on this, though, that don't have to do with the New Living Translation uh, was that saliva was thought in the ancient world to have healing properties, right? Uh, there was kind of this idea... Uh, and this mythos around it that you transferred your power, so to speak, through your saliva, right? And so we know for sure that Jesus could have healed without spit, right? He's done it. He's done it a ton of times already in the story, right? Uh, we know that he could have done it without laying on his hands or saying a word, right? He had that power. We recognize that authority. Um, <clears throat> so then the question is, well, and, and you also have to play on there. We, Jesus probably knew that there was, there was nothing to the whole spit having healing property things, right? Like he's, he's got in the flesh, he knows a thing or two, right? Um, so like he knows he doesn't need to do it. He knows there's probably nothing to it. So then it begs the question, well, what do he do it for, right? We can't be sure, which is a common theme. If you're picking it up this morning, we can't be sure, but I think it could have been something as simple as Jesus using a thing that they would recognize in order to help them understand what's going on. Does it make sense? Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's super complicated. I think probably Jesus didn't need the the spit. 
he, he could have done it without it, but I think he's, it's kind of a win in Rome type of moment, right? Win in Rome, do as the Romans, right? Like that whole phrase. I think that's kind of what's going on here is that he's using this visual picture for them to help them understand what's going on. Like the, the power and the authority, the healing is coming from him, right? Um, so looking up to heaven, verse 34, he sighed and said, stinking word again, F fatha, which means be opened. Uh, so the, the question from this passage is, Ephatha is an Aramaic word. Why did Jesus use an Aramaic word in a Gentile region? Um, there's a decent reason to think that probably because they all lived in the same area, they could speak or, or understand what this word meant, what it was. It wouldn't have been their everyday language, but it would, they would have had an understanding of what was going on. Um, and again, we can't be sure, but some of the commentaries have, have theorized uh, that it would have been a way of asserting Jesus's Jewishness, right? Uh, and so a lot of, just to, to kind of catch you guys up, if you ever want to go look, uh, the, the commentary that I probably leaned into the most is uh, The Life of Christ. There's, a, there's two books, it's actually, and, and then also a version that's one book, but it's by Mark Moore. Um, and so um, this is kind of, this idea kind of comes from his way of thinking. Um, and I, the thing about it is, is I don't think that the crowd would have missed that Jesus uh, was a Jew. But I think it is important, this idea to remember that, that salvation came through the Jews, that he was a Jewish Messiah, right? And Jesus' actions here, though, seem to, to say pretty clearly uh, that he may have come from the Jews, but he came for everyone. And I think that's a really important thing here. Um, you know, while he's reminding them with this word where he's from, he's also extending that olive branch a little bit to, to like, hey, listen, salvation, Jesus, the Messiah came for everybody. He came from here and salvation comes from the Jews. And you look at Paul and it says, you know, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. But it did then for the Gentiles, right? It, like it did go that way. So verse 35, instantly the man could hear perfectly. His tongue was freed up so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anybody. How'd that go? Not very well. Um, but the more he told them not to, the more the news spread. They were completely amazed and said again and again and again, everything he does is wonderful. And they haven't, he, he hasn't even fed them yet. I mean, that's going to really up the ante, right? Like that. Um, I mean, can you imagine if you're looking for a military leader and he can heal people and feed an army with, with a touch or a word? Right. I mean, like, think about like in in their in their brains and that that immature misunderstanding of what the Messiah was really here for. He really like he was hitting all the he was ringing all the bells. Right. Like it was it had to be an incredible, uh, an incredibly exciting thing for them because they wanted what did they want? They wanted freedom from Rome. Right. Man, he must have looked like an answer to prayer on that one. And he was just. Not in the way they thought. Everything he does is wonderful. He makes the deaf hear. He gives speech to those who cannot speak. Okay, so we're going to skip over the feeding of the 4,000. Okay? Uh, Luke is going to look at that next week. It's going to be great. Um, there are connections from these two stories that tie into that. And really, really cool idea of, of that healing of the, the Gadarene demoniac and the feeding of the 4,000. Like, there's some stuff there. But I'm not going to say any more about that. I'm going to move on. Okay? It's killing me, but I'm going to do it.
So we go to, to, to chapter 8, verse 22. You guys there? You with me? You ready? When they arrived at Bethsaida, you'll notice here again what happens. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch and heal him. This is sounding familiar. You see in the... Yeah, we're back. So a couple of things. Uh, Bethsaida, there's some, there's some thought that maybe this was Peter's hometown. Um, that's uh, maybe the home office of Peter and co. I don't know. Maybe. Um, the faith of the people who brought the man is... And this is kind of the next point. Sorry, I moved on without finishing that sentence. Um, kind of the next thing that we notice here is that these guys that brought the blind man to Jesus, their faith is very evident, right? That's why they're bringing Jesus, this blind guy. Uh, but the faith of the blind man isn't mentioned, right? Now, maybe that means a lot. Maybe it doesn't, but it's worth noting, right? Um, verse, verse 23, Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? Um, before we go on to the weird stuff, let's, let's look at the similarities, right? There are several similarities between these two stories we looked at so far. One, both are only recorded in the book of Mark, right? Okay? And these are Gentile healings, only recorded in the book of Mark. I'm just saying there's more argument for the whole who it was written to thing, right? So both of these are only recorded in Mark. That's the first one. Both of these miracles take place when Jesus is trying to relax. He's trying to take a break. He's trying to get away from the crowd, right? Uh, both men are taken aside, right? Okay, you tracking with me? Both times, Jesus meets the guy that needs healed, and he goes, hey, let's go over here for a second, right? Uh, number four on the similarities, Jesus uses spit and touch with both of them, Right? And then the fifth one is that Jesus tries to avoid attention from both healings, right? And those are things that happen in all, both of the stories, right? Five different things happen in both the stories. However, one of the things that's really unique about this story is that it's the only two-step healing Jesus ever performed. Now, you can make an argument that the Gerasian demoniac could be considered that same way because he does tell the demons to leave twice. Right? So he tells them to leave. They beg to go into the pigs. He tells them to leave. They leave again. So you could make an argument that that one fits that mold, but I don't think it's a good argument. I, as far as we know, I, I, as far as I think from the reading I've done, this is the only two-step healing that Jesus ever performs that's recorded, right? That we hear about. That's got to, that's, there's got to be something there, right? Like if, if it's weird, what's it there for, right? It, there's, it's pointing to something. Um, so while we can't know why, we have some decent guesses as to why this healing was so weird, right? Uh, I think there's two ideas that I really like. And the first idea is this. It's that Jesus may have moved only as quickly as the man's faith would allow, right? You know, his, his faith isn't mentioned. The faith of his friends is mentioned. That didn't matter with the, you know, the lower and the guy through the roof, right? Like his friends brought him and Jesus said, your faith, your, you know, their faith is, you know, get, your sins have been forgiven, right? Their faith, his sins, and it worked out okay. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we look at this and it makes some sense for him to go, this guy's going, yeah, I'm not really into this. I don't know about this Jesus guy, but my friends brought me, so, you know, I'm here. 
And Jesus goes, what about now? He goes, okay, I'm in. I see, I see trees, um, right? So like this idea that Jesus gave him a little taste and then that taste allowed him to kind of go, oh, snap, okay, uh, I'm in. I believe you got me. Here we go, right? And then Jesus goes, okay, you're better. Go on, right? That makes some sense. Um, and, you know, maybe Jesus, uh, you know, maybe the man didn't believe. And so Jesus was kind of working him through that process, uh, uh, you know, uh, so that he could see a little proof before. The second idea is that maybe Mark is using this story to draw our attention to the disciples, right? That if you look at it like, the, really, there's this partial sight that really describes the disciples really well before the, the, the resurrection, right? Like, you've got Peter's confession, which again, I don't want to talk about very long, but like you, you see these glimpses of them catching a glimpse, like these moments where they catch a glimpse of, of, of who Jesus really is, right? But then it kind of slips by. And then they'll say something really dumb afterwards, right? Okay? Um, or you'll have like the great confession and then you know, get behind me, Satan, right? Like you, where, where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go die. And Jesus, Peter's like, nope, no, right? Or you'll have, um, I, anyway, there's just lots of moments there where they have these shiny moments of this stuff that's really great that, where they really kind of looks like they're getting it. And then they have these other moments where they're, and it's, it's, like, it's like they just aren't seeing clearly yet. And you notice that when the resurrection happens and Jesus kind of opens their eyes spiritually, so to speak, they go, oh, wow, this is what he was talking about. Okay, I see this now, right? And so there's, there's, that, there's, there's that potential there is, is another thing that, that they kind of theorize like that, that that's what was going on. And, and I don't know, uh, you know, like I said, while they were with Jesus, they understood a little bit once he resurrected, they saw clearly how a suffering Messiah could win the day, right? Um, and I think probably we look at those two explanations and it doesn't have to be either or, right? I think it's possible for it to be both, right? And so I think that it's a combination of both. And I think that it's also possible that Jesus could have went at the speed of the man's faith, knowing that later Mark would use that to draw that comparison, right? I mean, he is, he is Jesus, right? Like he knows a thing or two, um, so verse 24, the man looked around. Uh, yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like walking trees around. And so the thing that we learned from this verse is probably this guy hadn't been born blind, right? If he knew what trees and people walking around would have looked like, then he had a point of reference. And so what that tells us then is that this guy was probably the cause of his blindness wasn't, wasn't from birth, but from disease, okay? Um, Again, it just helps us paint that picture. It, it doesn't necessarily change the story at all, but it helps us to see it more clearly. And so, um, verse 25, Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored. And uh, again, so I, I, I didn't write the word down here, but the word that's used there is... is, is is this the, the idea that it was just, you know, the word that he uses there is completely restored. And that's that word really like pushes that idea forward uh, with gusto uh, that it wasn't like a partial healing or a little bit. It wasn't like 
you know, but it was it was complete and total restoration. And there's this idea in there that that he could like the word that's used kind of had this idea in it that, that like you could see far away. Like so like not only could he see up close and he could see a little bit, but like even his distance vision. Right. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy there that works. It isn't like redneck and have to do with squirrels. Right. Like. Um, so like you ever been out in the woods uh, probably hunting analogies don't work either all right we're gonna move on he could see really good all right like there's nowhere for me like i can't fix it Let, he could see real good let's move on um verse 26 jesus sent him away saying don't go back into the village on your way home okay and again we have this this idea that jesus is you know He's sending him away. He doesn't want people to know, right? Like, what is, what's the deal with that? And so there's the question, why doesn't Jesus want people to know? I think, I think if we really look at it, that doesn't make very much sense, does it? I mean, think about it. Everybody's going to know. Jesus knows everybody's going to know. So, so is that actually what's happening? Is he actually is he saying, hey, I don't want everybody to find out. Just shh, keep it quiet. You know, don't tell anybody. Um doesn't make a ton of sense if the man goes straight home it delays the reaction of the crowd a bit though so that he's able jesus and crew is able to escape before the word gets out and i think that's probably what's going on in this story right it's not a matter of that he really doesn't want everybody to know i think it's more of a matter of if he delays the timing of the reaction a little bit he's able to get out of town before the traffic gets bad right um so the crowd had an, an incomplete, and this is important to remember, an incomplete and immature view of what the Messiah would be. And because of that, they would have tried to make him an earthly king. We see this in several other places where he does something crazy. And they go, we'd really like to just make you king right now. And then it's a very awkward conversation to walk that back, right? Like he, They're like, we're going to make you king. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go. I don't, I don't want it, right? And then the crowd's like, what do you mean? Like, what? no, like, let's do this thing. And, and so I think that there was a little bit of, of trying to, um, I think really what he's trying to do is he's trying to wring as much time as he can out of his time here on earth to be able to spend that every last moment, uh, every last little bit of time with the disciples, training them to be who they need to be and teaching them what they need to know for what's about to come. At this point in the story, uh, as things are, Jesus and his disciples have to move constantly just to get enough place enough space, peace and quiet and space for Jesus to be able to teach them. The crowds are already oppressive, right? And it doesn't make sense to me, and it isn't really feasible to me, that Jesus wants to keep any of this actually quiet, right? Like, his whole goal in coming to earth is to make God famous and to proclaim the kingdom, right? Um, but every time he says not to tell someone, he knows that eventually it's all going to get out, right? Uh, I think he's trying to delay things enough that he can... He can have the time that he needs to train the disciples. So here's the point for today. We're getting to it. We're wrapping up. You guys ready? Anybody needed to get up and do some jumping jacks? Here it is. Um, the point today of these two stories and the story surrounding them is that Jesus has the authority. He has authority over the natural world and the spiritual. Right? He can heal the body and the soul. Right? He can cast out demons and calm storms. He is a Jewish Messiah, but he's also a Gentile Christ, which is a big deal to us because we are not Jewish. 
right? So thank God that he reached out to us. And we're meant to see that everyone, including the disciples, misunderstood how and what he was on earth to do. Anybody ever relate? They all wanted freedom from Rome, and he offers freedom from sin, which is a much bigger gift, but we didn't get it. They had heard, but they didn't comprehend. They could see, but they didn't understand. Right? They were essentially as deaf and blind spiritually, these two men, as these two men were physically. Right? And I think ultimately we're supposed to see our own failings in those of the apostles. Right? Because we miss it just as bad as they do. Sometimes on a daily basis and... We have the bonus of knowing about the resurrection. They didn't even have a clue at the time. They're feeling around in the dark and we've got a flashlight, right? And we still miss the, the exit, right? But the thing is, is that by identifying with their struggles, we can more easily recognize and admit our own. Because if Peter and John and the rest of the apostles could miss it so badly and still be loved and used by Jesus, then maybe Jesus can use us even though we're broken and we miss it too. And it also reminds us that we have to be vigilant, right? Because we have to be vigilant against overconfidence or thinking that we understand, right? Because there's so many times we go, I got this, and we totally don't, right? We don't have a clue, but we think we know so much. And we've got to be careful about that. Because in reality, there, there are those times where we think we see and we're just as blind or deaf as these guys were just like the apostles were. And so we've got to be vigilant against overconfidence in our own understanding. And, and we need to constantly allow Scripture to light our paths forward. Right? You want to see clearly what the next step is. You need to compare that up to Scripture. Right? Because we're so prone to missing the point, we have to constantly be realigning ourselves according to what the Scripture says is right. Right? We're so prone to missing the point that we've got to constantly be people of the Word, in the Word, reading through there, because that's, that's what lights our path. That's what, that's what helps us understand, okay, this is right and this is wrong. Right? So that's the point. That's, that's what those stories are really, that's, that's our takeaway for today. Right? And so then my question is this. Um, you know, maybe you have been a Christian for years and years and years and years and years, right? For us, I think the takeaway today is, for those of us that are in that boat, I think the takeaway is this, that, that Jesus has authority. Like, those things in our lives that feel so big and so huge, and we just, sometimes we struggle to see a way around them. Jesus has got it. Okay? And, and that we can rest in that hope for the future. That there's going to come a day where those struggles are no more. That, that even though this world is hard and we don't understand it, and there's all these things going on that are just gross, right? That if we stick with it, one of these days, Jesus is going to come back and He's going to get us and He's going to take us home. Right? But I think also then there are, there are those of us in the crowd, you know, 
who maybe are coming from a spot where we, where we don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And what I'm saying to you is Jesus has authority to take your story and your life and the brokenness that's in it and redeem them. And so my question then is this, whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years, what are you going to do with this hope that Jesus is offering you? And if you are coming here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't have a relationship with Him, He is standing here offering you forgiveness and hope and restoration. What are you going to do with it? So I'm going to pray and then uh, Stephen's going to come up and, and uh, lead us in some worship and, and a time of communion. And, you know, as we're singing and as you're thinking and as we're, you know, if, if today you're at a spot where something is going on and you need, whether you've been a Christian for years or you're just starting on your journey, if you're at a spot where you need to talk or you need prayer or you need to discuss what's going on in your life or what, what it is God's doing, then we're here. We, we want to have those conversations. We want to pray with you. We want to we be what the church is supposed to be, right? That place where we come together and, and we, we build each other up and we grow because of it, right? So we're going to sing. We're going to do that stuff. Um, but if, if, there's, if there's a need, don't let, it, don't let the day go by with it unspoken, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and... Um, God, we just thank you for these, these, uh, these stories, these healings. These uh, God, we know that they're not just stories. We know that, God, you were really here on earth and that you really have authority over heaven and earth. And God, we acknowledge that you are the, the God of heaven and earth, the Lord of all creation, the King on high. And God, we just ask that... Um, that today you would help us to, to, again, to just see you more clearly and to walk out of here different than we came in. It's in Jesus' name we pray.